and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life as the wind whips around the shed. It's a little bit warmer, so that's a good thing. I'm never sure what you're going to pick up on. What I mean by that is quite often I write articles or I put things out through social media, comments, uh, observations, but I'm never really sure exactly which ones are going to hit home. And I'm often quite surprised by the ones that do. Recently, I mentioned the idea of brands and photographers as brands, seeing themselves as brands, presenting themselves as brands. And it seemed to uh, create a very kind of black and white response. People either saw exactly what I was trying to say or else sort of saw me as some kind of ill-informed heathen who had no idea what they were talking about. Well, obviously, I do have some knowledge of that because I've spent the last 20-odd years, perhaps longer, uh, working with brands as a creative consultant, as a creative director, and as an art director. So I might know a little bit about how it works. But also, a good few years ago now, probably about 14 years, when I first started teaching photography at a higher education level, I inherited a module in which the previous person teaching it had focused on the idea of the students defining themselves as brands. They had to design themselves a logo. They had to create letterheads, see themselves as brands, create marketing around themselves as brands. The problem was that what they needed to do was to focus on their photography. They weren't typographers or designers brands, logos, typography, they all take great skills and great training. I immediately removed all of that from the course and focused on what I thought was important, which was creating a portfolio of work that potential commissioners would respond positively to. So it was strange recently when I mentioned uh, brands once again, how strong the feeling was both pro and against just goes to show I suppose we do seem to be a very funny old bunch photographers if you listen to our podcast over Christmas dealing with AI or the podcast conversation that Bill Shapiro and I had you'll know that I've been looking into the ideas around AI and photography in some detail over the last year or so I suppose longer when it comes to computational photography but anyway One of the uh, findings, discussions, themes that came out of that that talk was uh, about the idea that stock photography was going to be hit hardest by AI. And uh, I saw an article recently which confirmed it. thought it was quite interesting. Going to share it with you now. Uh, Getty Images launches AI image generator for stock photos. Getty Images has launched generative AI by iStock, an AI image generator that allows customers to create their own artificial intelligence stock photos. The new product is targeting small and medium businesses that need stock photos, and the text-to-image model is powered by NVIDIA. It is running under the iStock brand, a subsidiary company of Getty. In a press release, Getty says that the generative AI model has been trained exclusively using high-quality content and proprietary data from Getty Images' creative libraries. 
The photo giant also says that generative AI by iStock will not make pictures of known products, people, places or other copyrighted uh, elements. With this in mind, Getty is indemnifying users of the new tool in the form of iStock's standard $10,000 legal coverage, which customers get with iStock's more standard stock photos and videos. Users will also be able to modify images along with generating entirely new ones, and it can be integrated into existing apps and plugins via an API. To generate 100 images, the user will have to fork out $15. Using AI creatives gain the ability to produce anything they can imagine, says Grant Farhall, iStock's chief product officer. Our main goal with Generative AI by iStock is to provide customers with an easy and affordable option to use AI in their creative process. I think what I'm seeing there is Getty putting their hands up and saying, yeah, we agree with you, Grant, with Nick, Bill. Stock is in trouble. I'll tell you what, we'll do the AI thing anyway. And not only that, we'll do it cheap. Talking about the strange, wild world of photography, um, somebody got in touch with me recently and explained what was going on in the Wildlife Photographer of the Year exhibition. Somebody said they went to it and were shocked by the selection of an image in the urban wildlife category. It shows a shadow of a rat on a wall painted with animal murals. But the rat is not real. It's a cardboard cutout. They said it was a cool photo, but to me, this is not wildlife photography. I think I'd agree with them. I think it's cardboard photography. And if I'd entered this category and lost to this, I'd be furious. They asked me, what did I think? Well, I got back to them and said I agreed. They then shared with me the response from Wildlife Photographer of the Year to the uproar that uh, this choice of this picture has caused. And... They've come back and they've said this. Uh, Each entry is judged on its originality, narrative and ethical practice. Rattus cut outicus, yeah, that's what they called it, was awarded in urban wildlife, a category for images which focus on nature's occupation or cohabitation in a human-dominated environment. Whether capturing the magic of the commonplace or the surprise of the unexpected or normally unseen, the photographer's initial caption referenced that he decided for an untypical approach, and the accompanying title and caption make the photographer's approach clear. Well, that's all okay then, isn't it? No need to photograph wildlife. No need to use AI. Just cut it out of cardboard. This week, I'm pleased to be able to welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to her in just under five minutes, Morgana McGee, who is based in Melbourne, Australia, and who lives and works on the unceded land of the Bon Yurong, Boon Rurong people of the Kulin Nations. I hope I said that okay. The foothills of the Dandenong Ranges. Her practice explores relations to the non-human world using traditional photographic practices in non-traditional ways. Her work has been awarded and exhibited nationally and internationally. It has also been recognised by institutions such as the National Portrait Gallery of Australia. 
She is part of Tall Poppy Press and is regularly commissioned for editorial and large-scale community arts projects for the New York Times, The New Yorker, The Guardian, Art and Australia, the Mission for Seafarers, the Ronald McDonald House and the Immerse Arts Festival, among others. Morgana is the major discipline coordinator for photo media at Swinburne University of Technology. Hello, my name is Morgana McGee, and today I am speaking to you from unceded Boonarong land, who are people of the Eastern Kulin Nations who are the traditional custodians of this place. I'm sure every photographer listening can understand what a big question it is to be asked of what does photography mean to you. And I don't think it's anything I've ever actually been asked in my career now I think about it. So apologies if this story kind of meanders. Um, But I discovered photography as a somewhat, well, not somewhat, a very wayward teenager. Um, And photography became a way for me to channel the way that I felt about the world, the way that I saw the world. And most importantly for me at that time, it was a chance for me to be heard. When I finished high school, I knew that I wanted to be a photographer. And this was 20 something years ago when the path to photography was quite different to how it is now. So I went and I trained as a photographer and I had the dream of being a wildlife photographer. Um, I love making photos of animals and I love looking at photos of animals. Animals have been, you know, one of the greatest passions of my life. But I realized pretty quickly that wasn't gonna be a reality for me. Um, I live in Australia where the wildlife is incredibly abundant and beautiful in many places. However, especially back then, there was a kind of a, a, a belief, I suppose, that you had to leave Australia, go overseas and make it before you could do anything here. And that just wasn't a financial reality for me. So instead I stayed here and I was very fortunate to get a job at a newspaper, a cadetship as a photojournalist, um, which really helped me because I was getting paid to make photos every day. But I do have to say, I was a terrible photojournalist. Apologies if my ex-employer is listening. I was really bad at it because I felt like that way of photographing was not at all connected to why I fell in love with photography. I don't like being pushy and I hate being rushed. I really like having the chance to make images that feel like they come from me and are not necessarily just a reflection of the world. However, I was very fortunate to have the job, as I said, and I learned a lot. My career has taken a lot of twists and turns, um, but the work that I suppose I am best known for now is completely far away from photojournalism or even documentary, which is what I worked in for a long time as well. Um, I had a really tumultuous year in 2019, which then spilled over into 2020, which was obviously a tumultuous year for the whole planet. And it was a chance for me to really rediscover and reconnect with why I was a photographer. I've always been very prolific. I've always photographed my own series. However, something was different this time and I felt like I could tap back into that 15 year old and use my camera to communicate. So I guess that photography once again became a way for me to show how I was seeing the world. But this time, I suppose, with like the benefit of age and confidence, I felt like I could show the world as I see it, um, which is a dark and beautiful and melancholy place that has all of the remnants of eternity in it everywhere we look. Um, And I feel like photography gives myself 
a chance to think about how much bigger the world is than I am and what's happening to me right now. Photography exists in this incredible continuum where the photograph is made and it may may exist long past I do. And I think that's a really beautiful thing and actually gives me a lot of comfort. I would say that photography has probably been the longest love affair of my life and I'm absolutely as in love with it right now as I was when I first picked up my camera when I was 15. I make photographs every single day and I've realised now that part of making photographs, part of what keeps me so in love with it and maybe addicted to it, is that it's a chance for my brain to shut off. All of the noise leaves me when I'm taking photos. I feel completely calm. And it doesn't matter what I'm photographing or how I'm photographing. I do really silly things like I use an 8x10 camera to photograph small animals. But there's something in the process of doing that that feels like the most glorious meditation and feels like it keeps me connected to the 15-year-old that I once was whilst also being connected to who I am right now. I feel so privileged and so fortunate that I fell in love with photography when I did and that I continue to be in a position where I get to make photos every day. Thank you, Morgana, for your contribution. Actually, I found it beautifully soothing hearing you talking about photography. Maybe that's the same experience you have from making photographs. Anyway, as always, uh, check out her work. Lots of bits and pieces this week, as you're probably uh, hearing. Something I wanted to share with you was another letter from a listener listener stroke reader actually of the united nations of photography.com and uh, from dan wagner he says this hi grant totally related to your article about the futility and ridiculousness of portfolio reviews every word you wrote rung true I was lucky enough to start my studio in 1982. Meeting with art directors and photo editors in person was fantastic and led to assignments and friendships. Things began getting worse with stock photo agencies, then bike messenger services so art directors could ask for Polaroids to be messengered instead of participating on set. Then came fax machines. Some art directors tried to direct a shoot from a faxed Polaroid, after which came scanned and emailed Polaroids, then two megapixel cameras, then clients shooting their own simple product shots, all of which coincided with huge portfolio drop-offs reviewed by interns, the onslaught of source books, etc., Nowadays, I've come to realise that the people who enjoy photography the most are the advanced amateurs who do it only for fun. Cheers, Dan. Well, I won't agree with everything in there, but um, it's interesting, isn't it, how many of these themes that we talk about all seem to connect. Whilst we're talking about the future of photography, and I suppose the present also, just a reminder that the uh, online-only MA in professional photography that I've written and that I'm launching this coming September at Oxford Brooks University in Oxford in the UK is now uh, open for applications. We've had a huge amount of interest, so thank you if you listen and you have got in contact with me about it. But you can now go to the Oxford Brooks University website, just put in professional photography, and up it will come with all the details of the fees, how to apply, and what we're looking for. As I said, 
It's an all-online course, and a lot of the people you may have heard on this podcast contributing and engaging in conversation will actually be teaching on the course. There won't actually be full-time lecturers. It's almost like a kind of a free-form mentoring master program. So I think it's going to be exciting and very different. So do get in touch if that's your kind of thing. This episode seems almost as if it's constructed from segue into segue, but as always, it isn't. It just happens to have fallen into place. But anyway, whilst we're talking about education and writing, uh, regular listeners will know I do like a list of 10 things that somebody has written that kind of helps you out or gives you a pointer towards success. And I came across recently, uh, written by uh, the great David Ogilvy of Ogilvy and Mather, the... um, advertising agency 10 points written to explain how to write and i know that more and more photographers nowadays are having to do that so i'm going to go through them now for you number one read the roman rafferson book on writing read it three times number two write the way you talk naturally number three use short words short sentences and short paragraphs Number four, never use jargon words like reconceptualize, demassification, attitudinally, judgmentally. They are hallmarks of a pretentious ass. Number five, never write more than two pages on any subject. Number six, check your quotations. Number seven, never send a letter or a memo on the day you write it. Read it aloud the next morning and then edit it. Eight, If it is something important, get a colleague to improve it. Number nine, before you send your letter or memo, make sure it is crystal clear what you want the recipient to do. And number ten, if you want action, don't write. Go and tell the guy what you want. Just before I go this week, something I forgot to mention, uh, tying in with that Oxford Brooks University MA, I'll be giving a live webinar which you can sign up for asking any questions you like about the course on Saturday the 24th of February. I think it's in the afternoon UK time. But uh, you can go to the Oxford Brooks website and find out information about signing up for that webinar or alternatively look at the page on the United Nations Photography.com where this podcast is posted and I've put the link there for you. Just finally, uh, news on the shed. You could probably hear the wind blowing around. Well, we've sold the house um, which the shed is attached to and we will be moving in the coming months. So look out for a different sound to the uh, podcast. Uh, We may not have next door's dog, the rain, birds and wind, all of which, and the postman, all of which have featured on previous episode in future. But who knows? I know what I'm going to do. I'm sure you're going to do it too. Just take care.